It's the Ambiguously Blind Podcast with your host, a guy that's great up hearing, but terrible at listening, John Grimes. Hey, hey, hey. Greetings. Welcome back. Thanks for tuning in, subscribing, and supporting the podcast experience. In this episode, we are going to be joined by Victoria Watts. She certainly has an entrepreneurial spirit with her line of beauty care products, but she's also a disability rights activist, as well as the founder of the Cyrus System, which is the primary reason we have her on the podcast. The Cyrus System is a sort of language of raised universal symbols or a tactile interface for people with uh, low or no vision to be able to read packaging and things that are usually printed on the outside of bottles or uh, on labels and things like that. And Victoria had a child born with low or no vision and was just kind of thinking like, okay, so how can I make this accessible? Uh, How can we make packaging more accessible for people with low or no vision that also likely has a appeal for most people, uh, vision or no vision. So it's a pretty interesting story and I'm interested to hear about that, how she came up with that and her journey as a parent with a uh, child with a visual impairment. Hey, Victoria, thanks for joining the Ambiguously Blind podcast. Thanks for having me. I want to talk to you a little bit about your uh, about the Cyrus Project, which has kind of a deeper meaning than just the name. Uh, tell me, tell me about the Cyrus Project and what the origin story for that is. Absolutely. So Cyrus uh, is an anagram for raised universal symbols, and it's named after my son Cyrus, who was born. Um, he was born visually impaired. Um, essentially, he doesn't really have any functional vision, and uh, that was six years ago in 2016. And when Cyrus was born, he was my, he's my fourth child, youngest child. At about four months old, we noticed that there was something wrong with his eyes. They weren't tracking. So we took him to a specialist and they informed us that his retinas were partially detached. So we had to um, do a laser procedure to stop the traction on his retina because as most, most of us know, Full detachment is complete blindness. And he also had bilateral folds in each of his retinas. And we ended up, I think he probably had a total of six laser procedures throughout his life. His eyes, thank thank the good Lord, are stable now. But, you know, it was really hard. Uh, It was something we didn't expect. Um, Blindness does not run in our family. We don't know anybody that's blind. I have three other children who um, were born sighted. And so this really kind of threw us for a loop. And, um, you know, of course, as a parent, you want to find out why it happened, how can we fix it? And we couldn't fix this one. I I couldn't, I wasn't going to find a cure for him. I couldn't put a bandaid on it. I couldn't give him medicine and and make it better. It was just, and, and we didn't know what happened. We still don't really have a a concrete diagnosis um, six years later, uh, which is somewhat frustrating, but it is what it is. Uh, so it was really tough. And I have to be honest, I went through a very difficult time. Um, I was angry. I blame myself. I, you know, just couldn't believe that this happened. And I, and I think the thing that bothered me the most is I didn't know how to help him. I didn't know what to do. And I have always been able to help my children. Of course, as a parent, that's number one. 
Yeah. Yeah. It was the worst feeling, not knowing what to do for him. We didn't have a plan. I didn't even know where to begin. And I, and I couldn't even bring myself to join a support group or do anything because I didn't, all of a sudden I was part of a club I didn't want to be part of. And I know that sounds terrible, but it's the truth. I was so angry about it. And, um, you know, I kind of went through a period of mourning the loss of a of the child I thought we were going to have, even though Cyrus is amazing and wonderful. But at that time, it's like you go through this mourning process and um, it was extremely uh, difficult, but, you know, good support system. Uh, my husband's sister is uh, handicapped, so he had a lot more experience with that. So thank God he was more or less my rock when I was just kind of a mess for, you know, six months or so. Um, but it's it was difficult. But what I found was that when I finally just realized that I was feeling sorry for myself, when I clicked in my mind that I was feeling sorry for myself because Cyrus, he's not missing his vision because he never had it. So his world is beautiful. His world is his world. And I was just having pity on myself. And once I came to terms with that, that's when I decided, you know what, I can either be angry and sad and in denial, or I can accept this and figure out a way that I can make his life better. Mm -hmm. When I decided to, at the time I had just launched a skincare line called Victoria Land Beauty. And I thought to myself, you know, how is Cyrus going to bathe by himself? How is he going to go grocery shopping? All of these things I've never thought about before that I take for granted as a sighted person. And it was kind of like my aha moment. And I thought, there's nothing out there. How do you distinguish between products when everything is packed in similar packages? There's no tactile cues. And so then I thought, well, I have this make, I have the skincare line. Why don't I figure out how to make my products accessible to people with visual impairment? And that started a two-year journey to developing the Cyrus system of raised universal symbols um, alongside a group of visually impaired people. So I could really understand the challenges because Cyrus was maybe one or two at the time, maybe one, he wasn't going to give me any feedback. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so I needed to really understand the challenges um, that the visually impaired face navigating in a world of products that are packaged for the sighted to, to develop this system. So it took about a couple of years to develop it. And I launched it as a proof of concept on uh, the Victoria land line in 2020. Wow. So a lot of stuff to unpack there. And just to bring a little, little levity, did you say four kids? Yes. Four kids. Wow. Four kids. Uh, that's, that's amazing in and of itself. <laughs> yeah, it is. It's crazy. Sometimes I can't believe that I have four kids. <laughs> yeah. That's, Busy. Uh, yeah, I can, I can relate. That's, um, that's crazy. I just kind of wonder, you said it, so Cyrus is about six now, so around six years ago. When, when were the first signs, you, you know nothing about detached retinas or whatever, you know, everything is, is relatively normal as far as vision goes and you have no history with this with your other children and, and your family or anything. So it's not necessarily hereditary. And when, what, what were kind of the signs that you detected early on that something, something was different? Well, his eyes weren't tracking right away. Um, they were, they appeared to be crossed. 
but that can sometimes happen after birth. And that's not necessarily something to be alarmed about, um, you know, initially in the very beginning. But what really, what really concerned me was we were, um, he was four months old. We were on a trip. We were in Hawaii with him. And I noticed that he was putting his head down. And that was something I just knew. I said, this isn't right. I don't know why he's putting his head down, but this does not seem right to me. And as soon as we got back, we took him over to Baskin Palmer in Miami. And I mean, it was a crazy day. I remember like it was yesterday. I, you know, they, I think we were there to about six o'clock at night um, because it, we had to wait for the doctor to get out of surgery. And it was just crazy. And I was like, I could not believe that this was happening. I never, mm-hmm. I didn't know anything about detached retinas. I didn't know anything about really eyes for that matter. I mean, I have terrible vision myself and I wear contacts, but I just never knew much about eyes and diseases and, and, and such. So it was very, um, it was, it was a tough day. Yeah. I bet. What kind of prognosis did they give you? Like they said, okay, so it looks like the, the, the retinas are, is that what they told you that detached retinas or, or there's obviously an issue with the retina. We need to get closer, look at this or talk to a specialist or something, or did they just diagnose it right there? Well, the first thing was they needed to stop the traction on the retina. That was the first thing. And when they got in, they saw that he had bilateral folds in each of his retinas. So essentially his macula um, has been taken into the fold. So central vision, really nothing. Um, Perhaps some peripheral, perhaps some light, you know, um, detection. And um, so that was the first thing. And then, you know, they, they thought, well, maybe it's fever, which is, and I can't pronounce the whole thing, which is why it's abbreviated to fever, F-E-V-R. Um, but when they were kind of digging a little deeper, noticed that his optic nerves were somewhat undersized, which isn't consistent with fever. So then it was like, okay, well, what is, what is going on? We ended up taking him to Boston's Children's Hospital. I'm from Boston originally um, for a second opinion. And um, we ended up just uh, finishing out his treatment there for the next three years, only because I just really loved the treatment that they treat the whole family at Boston's Children's. And I really needed that. I mean, I left that hospital with hope. I went up there with none and I left with hope. And that's something I can always be thankful for. Boston's Children's Hospital. And they they were amazing. And uh, we went up there every six months for the first three years of his life. And he would have, we would be at the hospital or stay near the hospital for seven days. They would do, you know, the appointments, in-office appointments with the different doctors. And then on Fridays, Friday, they would put him under anesthesia and they would do all of those tests and procedures again while he was completely still. His eyes are stable. We still don't know exactly, like I said, he's been through a lot of genetic testing to find out what exactly caused the detachment and the the bilateral folds and the optic nerve hypoplasia, but hopefully someday we'll be able to determine that. Mm, So you don't know. No, we don't. Amazing. It drives me crazy. I'm always, we're in studies, we're doing all different things and I'm always reading things and trying to figure it out. But you know, I think we'll find out eventually, but sometimes, you know, we just don't have the technology at this point to, you know, uncover these things. Maybe we'll find out, you know, 10 years from now. Well, I'm optimistic. Yeah, I'm optimistic too. That's a good way to be. Um, Kind of when you were speaking a little earlier, you reminded me of, uh, do you know Kristen Smedley? Uh, Have you ever heard that name? Yes. And we have emailed a few times. Yes. And you're the second time someone has brought her up to me this week. So I think that's a 
need to reach out to her again. Yeah. Some of the things you've said are I've had her on the podcast and she's uh, written a book, Thriving Blind, and mm-hmm. uh, she has two sons that both have, I can't remember the, it's a, it's a, a genetic disorder of, of mm-hmm. the, of the eye that has, has, has caused quite a bit of vision loss for them. And so like some of the things you said are just like exactly some of the things that she was saying early on in the, in the onset of those things. And, um, she's a, she's a pretty incredible, incredible gal. So you should, uh, you should check her out cause it, she might have some good answers for you or at least, um, some been, been through some of those kind of same things. Yeah. Did they give you any like roadmap? Like these are some marks to be aware of. These are things that are going to happen or things to be aware of at through any of the treatments you've been through the doctors or anything, or is it just kind of kind of been the wild West just kind of figured out? Yeah. I mean, it was, again, it was always just making sure that the, there, you know, we stopped the traction on the retinas. There's really, unfortunately the folds. sometimes they can go in and try to unfold the, these folds, but um, it, there was too much of a risk of him losing his eye. And that to me was just not worth, mm-hmm. it wasn't worth the risk. And, you know, now that his eyes are stable, uh, since he turned three, you know, he goes to the ophthalmologist every six months. He sees the retina special specialist every six months and everything has been okay. Um, which really leads me to believe that it isn't fever because fever is a disease, a, a disease that progresses and there's been no progression, which is good, which is a good thing, but yet we still are, you know, it's a mystery as to what actually, what actually happened. Mm-hmm. He wears glasses. I mean, he doesn't really. I mean, look at him. He doesn't necessarily appear to be blind, but he does use a cane. Um, he's learning his mobility. He, um, no, he wears glasses more, I think, more to protect his eyes. But he does get his script changed every time we go in. So so does he have light perception or what do you? We think that he has a little bit of light perception. They were able to detect at Boston's Children's that there is some type of vision there. But what that vision is, is still remains to be seen because Cyrus doesn't really know what seeing is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I mean, how could he? And to be able to articul- articulate what he actually sees, he's a little too young to do that. So, um, you know, I'm waiting for that day where, you know, he can actually tell me, mm-hmm. you know, if he does see light, I can kind of tell. And so can the doctors, you know, when they flash the light or he has a toy that um that he detects something it's just we don't know to what extent at this point does he read braille he's learning it now and so am i it's very hard to learn but he's learning it i don't know if you can see on my shirt uh for those that are listening we're on video i can't see well actually the video obviously you can if you're listening you can't see but there's a a a group called eye design uh who makes uh braille fashion so this, it says ambiguously blind is, is the shirt that I'm wearing in Braille. So there's a lot of cool ish, you know, <laughs> kind of things that are adaptive. It's, it's almost kind of vogue now to, to do those kind of things. And these guys, it's really an incredible, incredible company. And they do some really awesome things with, with fashion and, and incorporating Braille into kind of being, you know, a, a fashion statement now, as opposed to something that's kind of an afterthought that. It mostly has been before. Who runs that company? Is it a, it's a, is it a woman? Yeah. Her name's Alexa. Yeah. I think I met her at the, um, American foundation centennial in September. She, you probably did. Cause I think I they think made hats for, for that 
100 year thing. And yeah, so 100 year. Yes, I, yeah. I think I remember meeting Alexa Jovanovich, I believe is her name. She's been on the podcast too. She's a she's a incredible person and doing some some really great things. So Oh, that's wonderful. Yeah, there's it just once you start, you know, I didn't know anything about vision loss or visual impairments. And even it, for me, it happened when I was in college. And so I go from a normal sighted person to a essentially blind person or severely visually impaired overnight. And then like now I got to go back to school and kind of function as a student uh, again. And like there's so many resources that were available that I just didn't even, I was just totally oblivious to. Mm-hmm. Um, in Texas where I live, it's the Texas Commission for the Blind, which is Changed name, uh, change names a few times, but still the same type of organization where they have lots of resources and things on the campus, like right there that I just, I just didn't know. And there were lots of other resources available that unless you're looking for them or know about them or need them, mm-hmm. you just don't know anything about it and they're all there. And it's, it's really pretty amazing when you kind of, kind of need those things to see what's, what's available. Oh, agree a hundred percent. It's, I mean, I have to say it's an amazing community of people that I have met, um, on this journey and, uh, you know, amazing, beautiful, accomplished, successful. I mean, just kind of blows me away sometimes when I meet people, um, that, you know, are Olympics, Paralympic skiers or, you know, so competitive or, you know, very successful in their careers. And, I think it's because there's such a stigma associated with disability that oh, if you're disabled, you can't do certain things. And it is completely the opposite. And I find that to be so inspiring and so amazing and um, just really wonderful to see. And it's something I probably would never have really seen if it, I didn't have Cyrus. So I, I really consider that such a blessing. Yeah. it really opens up a new world of opportunities and things that you just didn't even really know existed. I've, I've talked to uh, some people on the podcast that are downhill skiers that does, uh, Chad, um, uh, skis double black diamond. Um, and he has, he has no vision whatsoever. I'm just like, amazing. that's crazy. I, yeah. Close your eyes and try to go down a, even a regular slope on skis. I'm that that's not for me, but um, just because of that doesn't mean you can't, you can't do those kind of things. And it's you just do it differently. And that's one thing that I learned is no limits. So we don't set any limits for Cyrus. He horseback rides. He's an excellent swimmer. He plays the piano. Um, we're getting him into karate and he wants to be a Paralympic swimmer. He tells us. So, you know, yeah, I think, I think awesome. he has a shot. Yeah. Um, but we don't set limits. And that was one thing that in just the beginning of this journey and reading and, um, you know, getting involved with AFB and just, you know, that's no limits. And if there's nothing they you can't do, you just do it differently. Yeah, and I think you're that's right. that's how I approach it with Cyrus is, you know, you got to figure out how to get up those stairs. You can do it. And he does. You got to do this. And I give him that opportunity um, to figure it out. What is school like for him? You said, I think you said he's six or so. So like, is that kinder first grade-ish type? He just finished preschool. We kept him back a year because we transitioned to um, a new school this year. We were we had him in a um, a preschool in Naples where we lived, and we had a shadow that went to school with him every day. And you know it was okay at the time for Cyrus, but he was getting bored, and he really needed to be in an environment where everybody around him had experience dealing with kids with visual impairment. Um, 
because it was really like we were all learning together, his therapist, his shadow and all of these things. And they did a wonderful job, but it just, it wasn't enough um, in my opinion. And I just, it was very important to me that Cyrus learn the fundamental skills that he needs um, to be successful, like braille and mobility. And it wasn't going to happen. It was going to, it wasn't going to happen as fast as I would like to see it happen staying in Naples, which is why we decided to make the move to St. Augustine and send him to FSDB. And it has been, I mean, just to see him blossom and happy to go to school and excited about going to school and just thriving has been so incredible. And to be surrounded by parents and teachers that I can ask questions that I was never able to ask because I didn't have anybody to ask. Um, I wasn't going to talk about it with someone that didn't understand it because what was the point? Mm -hmm. Uh, So I never talked about it. I just Googled and Googled and Googled and (laughs) tried to find my own answers. And now that I can ask questions that, you know, sometimes things happen and it concerns me, but I don't know if that's supposed to happen or there's something wrong because again, no experience with this. So being able to have that group of people that I can go to and say, Hey, listen, I saw this the other day and I don't know if this is an autistic behavior or this is a blindism. You know, again, there's that, you know, that, that blurry line between that. There's a lot of fine lines in there. Yeah. Yeah. So it's been really great to have, you know, that, that reassurance that, listen, my child who's, you know, now 15 went through similar things. This is what it is. Don't worry about it. Don't sweat it. It's, it's fine. Just having that peace of mind for me has been amazing. So you moved, uh, you moved for school. I mean, that's another thing that parents do to try to figure things out. That's what you, you do what do. you have to do. Yeah. My husband still travels back to Naples every other week because he has a practice there. And, um, you know, that's sometimes can be a little stressful, but again, when you're, you do what you need to do for your children. And honestly, I wouldn't change a thing. Just seeing him over the past school year, just completely blossom. It's been amazing. That's great. Okay. So Cyrus system, um, universal, I've already lost track what the letters stand for raised universal symbols. Yes. Mm-hmm. Okay, so tell me about that. You started with the Victoria land beauty stuff. That's, yes. that's the mm-hmm. concept. What have you done with it since then? How, how does that work? Okay, so like I said, we launched it. The we launched four four of uh, our symbols in January of 2020 on four Victoria Land SKUs, and um, you know, because it was important for me to. Well, I had this idea, and I couldn't just say, "Hey, guys, the world." I have this idea. I had to show the world what it was, mm-hmm. why it's important. And Victoria Land was a great vehicle to do that. And it, it also, you know, kind of set us apart from other skincare brands on in the beauty um, industry because no one's really catering to, you know, visually include people with visual impairment or disability inclusion. So it really set us apart and we generated a lot of press, um, which was which was great um, and really drew attention to not only the lack of representation in the beauty industry, but also the need for accessible packaging. And um, it opened up conversations too about people with visual impairment. And, you know, sometimes, you know, when I was, when I, I would be talking about it, someone would say, well, why do they really care about their skin? They can't see it. Again, people, people say some, <laughs> I have to take a deep breath when someone says that. And then I have to remind myself, you know what, Victoria, 
what did you think 10 years ago? You know, I have to kind of like, okay, let me just, you know, take a deep breath before I answer this question. But it's been, it's opened up conversations about, about this community and it's given me an opportunity to educate people. Um, you know, just because you can't see your beauty doesn't mean you don't want to feel beautiful. Just because you can't see doesn't mean you don't shower or brush your teeth or put makeup on. I mean, some of the people I've met do amazing makeup, look amazing. I mean, incredible. Again, they want to do everything and have um, accessibility to everything that everybody else does. And that was what was so important because I, I like I said earlier, I wasn't going to find a cure for Cyrus. I'm not going to find a cure. I'm not giving him his vision back, back, but I can make the world a better place for him. I can make the world more accessible for him. And that is, that's what drives me every single day is knowing that I am making a difference in his life. And this is my band-aid. This is my, my fix for him, if you will. Um, so I launched in 2020, great press, um, really rose, you know, raised awareness for this. We've won some notable awards um, inclusivity champion of the year in the beauty industry, which was great. Universal Global Universal Design Award, which was wonderful. So it's been a very interesting journey. And like I said, I've been able to meet some incredible people along the way. And we are, you know, working to develop the system beyond the seven symbols that I currently have. I want to see this tactile language um, across all CPG categories because every product should be accessible to every person. And this system provides that. Yes, I designed it for Cyrus, but it's be it has benefits for everyone. And one thing I think people don't realize when you, you hear blindness or visual impairment, that vision loss is a spectrum. You don't have to be medically blind. You wear glasses, you wear contacts, you... Um, you know, of a, you're of a certain age, dyslexia, certain types of um, foreign language speakers, you know, this system really benefits a much broader audience. And that was so important in designing this because I want to see, I want this universal language on everything. I, I, we need your universal language. I, yeah, you're right. And I think to back up just a minute ago, what you said about just accessibility and and speaking with as a, as a person with a visual impairment, you know, we, we want things to we want to be as normal as possible. I mean, obviously we're not normal per se, but when things work the way that you know it would normally work for for average people, that that that, that, that at least for me, it makes me feel you know more empowered or just you know, like like the iPhone is a good example of where mm -hmm. it's a consumer product that everybody uses, but yet they put the voiceover stuff in it to where somebody with a visual impairment, there's also other physical impairments that, yes. that they work that iPhones and stuff work with too. But for me in particular, mm -hmm. a vision impaired person can use the same product that a normally sighted person can use and, and almost have the same exact experience. And that it just, it, it's hard to describe how that makes someone feel um, who normally feels different because everything has to be done in a separate manner or in a different way. And if you can standardize these things to where it's, it's, you know, in air quotes, normal, it just, it, it really makes life um, easier for sure, but just kind of more, more normal or, or just better kind of, I, I don't, I'm not saying it right, but it just, just makes you feel more, more normal. 
and not right. not like you have to always have something adapted or something done special mm-hmm. for you. So yeah, it's being disabled yeah. is hard enough. So let why do we have to make it even harder? Yes. Yeah, yeah. And There's what, and what you a little bit ago about the Siri and text messaging and audiobooks. Those are wonderful examples of universal design and that were created for certain disabilities, but everybody benefits. Everybody benefits from, yeah. And there's, there's a lot of times when we have these accessibility features built in, everybody can use them or there's a, or there's a section of, of people that you didn't know Mm -hmm. would make this life easier for them that, I mean, you may have targeted this for visually impaired, but all of a sudden like, wow, this whole group of people just can, can benefit from this or the, the smart speakers and things where you don't need, you know, sight to, you know, it's, it's amazing. There's technology Mm -hmm. is great. This is a, a great time. You know, we, uh, we, we joke that this is a great time to be blind because 20, 30 years ago, we didn't have these kind of things. Um, but at the same time, 20 or 30, 20 or 30 years from now, it's, it's just getting better. It is. And, um, with things like the, the Cyrus, um, project and the implementation of that, I, I feel like this is just one of the things that, that makes things better. So like, tell me, how does it relate to Braille? So Braille's letters and stuff, how does your system differ from that? And, and like, what, what are markings and, and have I seen it somewhere? Can I go find it somewhere locally where I am? Well, right now it's only on Victoria Land Beauty products. We're hoping that that's going to be changing in the next, you know, six months or so. Uh, we're working with some um, brands and some um, t- in talks with some big CPG companies to now. What is CPG? Consumer packaged goods. Sorry. Sorry, that's okay. I'm just <laughs> um, because you know we want to. I I did all that I could. I mean, I took it seven symbols. Did this on my own. You know, had it spent two years developing it mm-hmm. and you know doing what I do. But in order to to build this out and um, across, you know. Beauty, personal care, cosmetics, health and wellness, and then various other CPG categories, you know, it's something that I need help with. So we're talking with, you know, like-minded organizations, um, CPG leaders, packaging industry leaders to get people together to work together uh, collectively and, and build the system out, um, you know, over all these categories. But back to your question on Braille. So, of course, my first thought was, okay, I thought everybody read Braille. It was one of the things I just thought. I just assumed every blind person read Braille. I don't. And I have a Braille shirt. And so I. <laughs> <laughs> so you don't even know what it's. I don't. I had to be. T- I, I just. I. It may even not even say ambiguously blind for all. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Imagine if it didn't. <laughs> yeah. Well, no, it does. But um, I, I tried to read Braille on two occasions. And it just. The problem for me was uh, I was at, at old enough. I was 19. When, when my vision change happened overnight and when, as tech, with technology and computers, and I've always been a computer type of person anyway, even before vision loss, it was just, it, just digital. I just want everything digital. And that was even before the iPhone and stuff, which just made it even more of a reason why I didn't um, learn Braille. And in my experience and talking with lots of people since the podcast started and just other people, there's kind of a line like, some people have with like RP or Stargardt's and lost vision later in life, later being like maybe even late teens or twenties, they don't know Braille either. And it's hard to go back and learn that when technology essentially makes you lazy or just kind of makes it not as, as necessary. 
And you nailed it. Like that's, you're absolutely right. And that was what my findings were when I started to think, well, why aren't there, there's a handful of brands out there that add Braille. Why aren't there more? And when I started to research and talk to people, you know, I quickly understood why there isn't more. Number one being that there's a very low literacy rate for Braille because of the technology that is available and for people that lose their vision later on in life, which I don't know what the percentage is of people that are born blind like Cyrus and people that lose it. But I'm, I'm, I'm thinking it's probably more people that lose it later on in life. And there isn't that urgency because of technology and also space restrictions on packaging, the font, the size the Braille needs to be for someone to be able to read it. So when I realized that wasn't going to work, then I thought, well, what if I create a universal symbol system for, you know, my skincare line at the time, um, you know, tactile symbols. And so then I started my journey of two years working with the Lighthouse organization in Naples, um, a couple people from there to just really understand what the, what the challenges are so that I could design, you know, effectively design the system mm-hmm. and, you know, coming up with symbols that made sense for the products that they were, you know, testing those out, implementing them, making sure they were raised enough so that they could be identified by touch. But one thing I learned that was interesting that I didn't know was, you know, we all know what QR codes are, barcodes, but I didn't realize that the low vision um, community will scan those for information. I didn't really, I, I was never a big user of QR codes now since COVID, they're everywhere. But at the time, I didn't really know much about or the importance of it. So when I brought that up to the focus group I was working with, they said, yeah, that's great. But the problem is we can never find them mm-hmm. on the packaging, which makes total sense. So they said, if you could emboss them or raise it so that we can feel it, that would be better. Again, I would have never thought of that. And just further what I've said earlier, that is the importance of bringing in this community that you are designing for, because there are things that you will miss if you don't. And we see that time and time again with companies coming out with things that are disability friendly. I mean, it's, it's drives me crazy when I see that. Yeah, they have, they have a good meaning and a good thought, but not always. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. They just, they miss the mark and that's one of the reasons they miss the mark. So, um, And then one other thing that I learned was that when, you know, scanning a QR code and watching someone use a screen reader, which I had never seen before, I noticed that, wow, they have to scroll through a lot of stuff to get to the information that they want. So I thought, well, that's silly. Why don't we, you know, when you scan a QR code, play an audio message so that you're hearing the information. So what we did um, with the Cyrus system is combining tactile cues with technology. So you scan the QR code and it plays an audio message with all of the information on the carton, which by the way, is amazing for sighted people. It's amazing for everyone. I don't know many people that can actually read that small print. Yeah, on it's pretty small. Yeah. I know I can't, even with my contacts in, I can't, I have to get readers, which I've refused to get. <laughs> I'll get them eventually, but I refuse to get them. My, my wife just got readers a couple of weeks ago, actually. <laughs> I'm like, oh, I don't want to do it, but I need to do it. I always borrow my, I'm like, mom, can I borrow yeah. your readers? We're out to dinner because I can't see the menu. So in, in doing this, I realized, wow, this system is beneficial for, for me as a sighted person. And, you know, just being able to have that accessible product information. And, you know, when I'm in the shower and I have soap in my eyes or I don't have my contacts in, I can't see. I'm actually legally blind without my contacts, mm-hmm. they tell me. Yeah. Um, 
and I can't see. So being able to touch something and feel a symbol makes that so much easier for everybody. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And when I realized that, I thought this is huge potential and this needs to be on more than just Victoria Land Beauty products. And I need to create a universal language. So that's what I'm doing. I know it's ambitious, but I, I believe we can do it and it's important and um, it's needed. Now, do you make uh, Victoria Land Beauty products for, for males? We do not. It's just, well, I mean, men use it. Certainly. Our target is pretty much females, but there are a handful of men that use it. My husband is one of them, okay. obviously. Yeah. Well, he has to. Yes. Well, uh, yeah, he does. So, right. <laughs> kind of by default that he has yeah, to. I just didn't know if there was something I should, I should be getting so I could, you know, understand how the, the system works, but. Well, I would be, I would be happy to send you some so that you can try it. And hopefully, you know, in the near future, we'll start to see more brands adopting the symbol system. And, you know, eventually we'll see it everywhere. That's yeah. the goal. Because like every product should be accessible, not just a handful of products, every single product. Um, and, and, you know, the other thing too that I learned in, in my two-year journey was the effort that the visually impaired have to go through, put it, doing their own braille labels, their own tactile systems, their own identification systems, rubber bands, you know, whatever, whatever it is. And I think thought to myself, God, being blind is hard enough. To have to go into that, do that extra step, why? Like with the technology and resources we have today, this should be a standard. Accessible packaging should be a standard. You should have to just be, just like you have to have a barcode, directions for use, whatever it else it is you have to have in your products, your products should be accessible. I don't understand why that's not the case, but that's what I'm working towards. Yeah, I love it. And a, and a universal way of doing that. So it's not... Mm-hmm. There's not 200 different versions of some yeah. similar thing that you have to have a different app or different scanner or yep. different It has to be the same. Or, yep. Until we're speaking the same, we'll, we're going to have barriers until we're all speaking the same language. We have to all speak the same language for that. And that's why this universal symbol system is, is so important. Um, and another thing too, like say you go to a foreign country and you're in the shower and you don't speak that language, you can feel a symbol and they're intuitive like emojis. So they can be easily learned by pretty much anyone. I hadn't thought of that either. That's genius. Yeah. Thank you. I I pretty much only speak English and a uh, (laughs) few Spanish words here and there. I didn't didn't do well in my foreign language in in high school either. My husband speaks Spanish and Cyrus actually speaks Spanish too. That is awesome. So. And Hebrew. I know. Wow. Okay. Yeah. He's pretty. And he, his thing right now is, um, you know, Top Gun is coming out this yeah. weekend or mm-hmm. came out last weekend. So um, his thing is, I want you to play the danger song, Danger Zone, but nice. oh, yeah. Danger Song. Nice. Oh, yeah. This kid is, yeah. So, I yeah, mean, I've, I've heard that it's a lot easier to learn languages at a younger age. And um, that, that would be proof that it's true. I it need is. to do that with, with my kids. Man. I know. I wish I, honestly, I wish I spoke a different language. I mean, yeah. I can understand Spanish a little bit. I took it in school. But my husband speaks fluent Spanish, my mother-in-law, my Cyrus's nanny. So he was getting a lot of that. And sometimes they talk and I don't and you know. you don't what know they're what they're saying. Yeah, exactly. And my husband thinks it's hilarious. Sure. I would too. <laughs> if I know I was... they're talking about me. <laughs> exactly. I'm sure they are every time. Every time. <laughs> <laughs> awesome, Victoria. Well, thanks a bunch for your time and joining the podcast. If um, people want to know more about the Cyrus system or what you're doing, where's, where's the best place for them to, uh, to find you? 
For more information on the Cyrus system, you just visit cyrussystem.com. And if you're interested in uh, learning more about Victoria Land Beauty, trying some of the products, um, I always say feeling is believing and trying out the system firsthand, you can go to victorialandbeauty.com. Yeah, nice. Okay, we'll have your social links and stuff and the uh, show notes of the podcast as well and those links as well. So thanks a bunch, Victoria. This is wonderful. It was wonderful to meet you. Thank you so much for having me. Thanks for spending time with the Ambiguously Blind podcast. Please rate and write a review wherever you subscribe and connect and share with us at ambiguouslyblind.com.